Great to have you here. And we are uh, in the middle of a Christmas series, just a short one here as we're walking through this season and uh, prepare the way. And we're just talking about the plans that God had. You know, our God is an awesome, sovereign, ruling God. And he knows what he's doing. He has a plan in the midst of what he's doing. And uh, scripture says, from eternity past, had the plan of where he was headed. And here's the beauty throughout the Old Testament in various prophecies revealed different truths that were coming of the plan, different things that were going to happen. And then those very things that were talked about, some have already taken place. So we can move to the New Testament and we can see those answers to the prophecy, the fulfillments of the prophecy. And some of them have yet to take place as we look forward and trust in our king for those. Praise be to God. And so prepare the way. Our God has a plan. He knows exactly what he's doing. And last week we looked at Bethlehem, the place chosen, and God's purpose in that humble spot. And uh, it was a great Christmas celebration there as well. And and, uh, this week we're now looking at the Messiah revealed, the person explained and chosen and revealed, the Messiah revealed. So turn with me, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 1, we got the ushers coming forward, and uh, they got Bibles in their hands. So if you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and uh, they'll get one to you. We're going to walk through these passages verse by verse, so you'll want a Bible there, all right? Just raise your hand, and they'll get a Bible to you. That's Isaiah chapter 9, and uh, a little bit after the middle of the Bible there. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, right? We're getting there. I'm hearing the pages flip. So Isaiah chapter 9. All right, first point, expect from a humble heart the glorious Christ was to step up as our eternal hope. Expect from a humble start the glorious Christ was to step up as our eternal hope. Man, uh, this Christmas season is often a thing about looking back, but it's also a thing about looking forward. Expect, and uh, may we long for our God to be fully revealed. And as we jump into Isaiah chapter 9 here now, starting in verse 1, this is God through Isaiah talking to the nation of Israel, okay? So that's the context, God through the prophet Isaiah talking to the nation of Israel. It says, but there will be no more gloom for her, Israel here. There will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, But in the later time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And and a lot of times when we read Isaiah or some of these other prophecies, we're like, what? What does that mean? And what's that supposed to? And, And so we need to take a little bit more time and dig in a little bit just to make sure we understand it. It's not just read the words and you'll get it. Sometimes there's some context built in, and in this case, some deep context. It says, there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. Uh, Israel uh, was going through a tough time. This is probably somewhere written in the, we'll just call it 750 AD, somewhere in the mid-700s this is written. And uh, Israel is going through a lot of tough struggles. And, and in fact, uh, a little bit after that, in 733, Israel was going to be captured and taken prisoner. There was a lot going on with them Uh, basically going through some struggles where God was going to say, you're not coming to me. And there's going to be some cost in that as I now teach you the value of worshiping me. And uh, they were going to be taken prisoner. There was a lot going on with exile and uh, that captivity. And there was gloom. 
And uh, he's like, just so you know, there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. I know you're struggling, but trust me, there's some resolution to this thing coming. That's the statement here. It's a promise of hope and of healing. It says, in the former time, he brought the contempt to the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. And uh, those are two of the tribes of the 12 tribes of Israel. He brought contempt to them. In fact, the way it worked out is when Assyria was used by God to come in and press down upon Israel and bring them back as captors, two of the tribes that took the hardest beat down were these two tribes, Zebulun and Naphtali, okay? And so what's happening is God's like, listen, it's gone kind of sideways here. And you haven't been listening. And I brought in Assyria, an outside nation, and they've come roaring in. And there's been a press down upon you. And in fact, Zebulun and Naphtali, they took the epic beat down. And everybody knows it. All of Israel is fully aware of the hard hit they took from the Assyrians in the midst of them coming over. And there's been a lot of tears and a lot of sorrow about it. And he's like, just so you know, I understand the contempt that was brought in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. I get the hurt and the heartache that has come there. He says, but, you always have to love that. When God's talking about the bad going on and then he gets to the word but, he's about ready to bring some serious hope and promise. But, in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. These sound like really poetic words, and we're not really sure what they mean. And just so you know, when Assyria came sweeping in, uh, let's just do a little background history now. So just so we understand, Israel was a nation of 12 tribes, right? And they were under kingship, and as they moved forward in that kingship, things went sideways pretty fast. And within just a couple kings in, they ended up getting split into two nations. Israel of 12 tribes became Israel to the north of 10 and Judah to the south of two tribes. So they got split into two nations. Okay, that's within the Old Testament story. So now there's two pieces, and you've got the 10 to the north called Israel and the two to the south called Judah. And in fact, now they get treated separately, and there's Assyria that sweeps into the north and brings captivity and punishment upon them for their not following after God. Later, Babylon will come in and sweep into the bottom to Judah and take them. There's captivity that comes, exile as they're taken away. God is using other nations to train them in their holiness and their following after him, okay? And so now Assyria is sweeping in. God's using them as he sweeps into the north to do a work there. Assyria is going to take them away. God's going to now shape them and train them. And when Assyria came in, they actually broke the area into three provinces, uh, three different areas or regions that they managed. And in fact, those three regions are referenced here, the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, and the Galilee of the nations. This is the three provinces that they were broken into, and uh, this is how they were managed by Assyria. The way of the sea is actually how Assyria came over and, and ended up uh, taking them captive. And so there's a lot of reference here to the culture and the history and the war and the exile and the properties and the provinces and all the destruction that's taken place and the sorrow. And these would have been words that were almost hurtful to the ears and the hearts of Israel as they were fully aware of all that had been going on. And he's just saying, just so you know, 
There's going to be something awesome that comes after this. Hang on. Okay? Now he moves in to the next verse here. It says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And uh, a lot of times when we read these verses, we're like, I have no idea what this means. Right? And we start tapping into our common everyday experiences of today to try to answer it. And uh, that can often be a bad plan. Okay? Like you're reading this and you're like, the people who walked in darkness have seen great light. And it's, oh, it's about the dark and the light. It's, he's referring to Star Wars. <laughs> I'm sure of it. And uh, everybody say, no, he's not. No, and even though you may have gone and seen the movie this last weekend and stood in some sort of line and shaken the hand of some bizarre character dressed as something, that's not what he's talking about here, all right? And uh, the light and the darkness, and those are references that we have to good and evil, and while it's true in that movie as well, in Scripture here, we're having a strong reference to Christ, and in fact, when we're not sure what something means and we're trying to figure it out, uh, it's great to put a little mind thought to it, thinking it through. It's also great to let Scripture reference Scripture, all right? Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4, starting in verses 15 and 16. You don't have to turn there, but you may want to write it down. Matthew 4, 15 and 16. He actually quotes these verses. And here's what's going on. John the Baptist has just been beheaded. Jesus Christ is now pulling back away into the land of Galilee to re, kind of rebuild the troops and get ready to launch his ministry. And the statement gets made as Jesus Christ pulls back into that area. The statement gets made as he quotes these verses now. It says, But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Are you hearing it? This is where Jesus grew up. This is where Jesus started his ministry. When he was in Galilee, and specifically in Nazareth, that was right in the area where Assyria had swept in and been the hardest, heaviest hitting. There had been this massive beatdown in the area. And they're like, just so you know, God's got a plan for this area to restore and lift this back up. And as Jesus Christ pulls back, Matthew chapter 4, right to this exact area, he's like, I know it's been hard. You get to taste of the one who is light first. And uh, they're tasting of him first. In fact, it says next, um, those who have dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. That light specifically is Jesus Christ. Everybody just say, it's Jesus Christ. That's the reference here, man. And it's not that obvious when we just read it through. But when you get to Matthew chapter 4 and you see him reference it back, God's like, just so you know, that's who I was talking about. That's what's going on. And good for us to understand and see the whole of Scripture sharpening Scripture. It says, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Jesus Christ is bringing hope. And as he begins to teach, as he begins to share, as he begins to reveal, as he begins to heal, there's going to be an amazing work done of joy. In fact, referencing joy at the harvest. You know, when you get done with this heavy, hardcore work and you've got some awesome results from it, and everybody's high-fiving, and they have the big harvest celebration at the end. 
And that's what he's talking about. This is like the November celebration after the September and October uh, pulling in of the harvest of the crops. And he says right after it, they are glad when they divide the spoil, using the metaphor now of like war. And when you get done with the war and being able to see the results of it, you're going to be able to see the results of this struggle. And how often is that true in our lives? Where we're in the middle of a suffering and a struggle and we're really not sure what God's doing and we need to hear this kind of statement that God's got a plan. Hang on. God loves the word, but. And to know that, embrace that in the middle of your life. He says, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. And uh, I love this statement. Actually a reference to those who stand against God Almighty being put in their place and ultimately even Satan himself being put in his place. This is a reference that gets up even into uh, the messianic kingdom, right? The thousand years, the millennial reign of Christ as we start to see him reigning and there is no other rule that stands against him. Jesus stands over all. There is hope. And verse 5, for every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Like, we don't need to be prepared for battle anymore. We get to actually burn those for fire and that's it. We're sitting around a fire, smile. How many of you have been around a campfire? Right? He's like, you're going to enjoy the campfire, man. And you don't need to be prepared for battle along the way. Battle is done. Jesus Christ has fought it. And Jesus Christ will have won. That's the hope being stated here. And uh, hang on. Your God's going to do something amazing. And uh, verse 6, he starts out, four. Like, why do we get to relax like this? And uh, he gives us six statements about the Messiah now. Six truths about Jesus Christ. And he starts out very simply. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The first one, a humble start. Six statements about the Messiah. And you might want to write them down here. Six truths about the Messiah. First one, humble start. And unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The God of the universe is going to humble himself and become a man. But not just appear as a 33-year-old man. He's going to be wrapped into the flesh of a little one and then wrapped into swaddling clothes and then placed in a manger. There is going to be a humble start for this king of the universe. And uh, that's the first one. Second one, there will be an effective rule, an effective rule of the Messiah. It says, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. Like he literally is going to be able to carry the weight. Not it'll be on his shoulders and it'll crush him. But like it'll be on his shoulders and he will be able to carry it. He will be the king ruling over all. Effectively, powerfully, and passionately. The government on his shoulders and him carrying the weight. And then uh, number three. He will have powerful names. Uh, within the name is captured the character of the person and he will have these powerful names. He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and a Wonderful Counselor. He will know all, and he will share it out with us and reveal to us. He will know everything. Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, he can do anything. 
Nothing will hold him back. All that needs to be accomplished, fully capable in this one, the Messiah, Savior, Jesus Christ, Almighty God, everlasting Father. He will rule for all eternity. This is a one and done. When he takes over, he rules forever. Everlasting Father. Praise be to God. And then Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. Man, his rule will not be broken ever again. He will rule and reign with a calm and a peace for all eternity. All of us right with him and celebrating him for all of eternity. He will make sure he establishes a kingdom where he is fully in charge. There is no battle. There is complete oneness and he is being glorified. That's the promise. This God, this almighty king, wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, powerful names, hope for the nation of Israel in the past, hope for us today as we wrestle in this broken world, hope. And uh, next, not just the powerful names, but eternal reign, eternal reign. It says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. There will be no end. Forever he will reign. Right now, we know of Christ reigning spiritually. And he will come to reign both spiritually and physically. Praise be to God. And uh, yes, an eternal reign. And then one more here, number five, justice and righteousness. Uh, some people can reign and it can be reigns of terror. Reigns of selfishness that will not be his reign. Justice and righteousness. Right, that's number five. So let's just break them down again. A humble start. Effective rule. Powerful names. Eternal reign. Justice and righteousness. And then the last one. And the zeal of the Lord will do this. And the zeal of the Lord will do this. That's number six. It says, with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Huge deal. And uh, hear me, it does not say, and you will do this. You're going to usher it in. And as you do all this effort and all this goes right, finally the kingdom will be what it needs. It doesn't say, everybody say, it doesn't say that. It's not us that's ushering it in. And it doesn't say Israel will do this. They'll usher it in and, and they'll make sure that, everybody say, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that, man. It says the zeal of the Lord will do this. Our God has it in hand. Do you believe he's sovereign? Do you believe he reigns over all? He runs this universe with his feet up, relaxed, man. It doesn't take a ton of his energy. He will carry this universe on his shoulders, and his zeal will deliver forward this Messiah. And all of God's people said, Man, I'm just telling you, we serve the risen Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. He is this Messiah. Praise be to God. We have hope. And here's the deal. They were sitting here in the midst of exile and torment and pain and suffering. And they were looking forward through this statement to the statement, but to a Messiah that would come humble start. They don't even know what that exactly means. This 
unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. That was 750 years away from them, okay? And we now look back 2,000 years to that event, and we've seen it, and we've begun to see Christ establish a spiritual reign. But I'm telling you, Revelation 19 still stands to come. He will be coming with a white horse, with the authority of his mouth, his spoken word, and Jesus Christ will reign physically for all of eternity. Expect it. We know the Messiah, and his name is Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, and that's our hope. That's our hope. And um, it's easy to get amped up on that. And uh, this past week... um, Several debates have been going on, and uh, the Republican debate and the Democratic debate uh, took place this week, and uh, I just wrote a few words down that I noticed as the debate was being held. Um, There are men, and there are women. There are short people, and there are tall people. There are younger, and there are older. There are eloquent, and there are the not-so-eloquent. And uh, there's first-generation U.S.-born citizens, and there are multiple generations of Americans in their family. And uh, some focus on the war on terror, some focus on immigration, some focus on the economy. And, uh, they attempt at being humble for some, and others aren't even close. <laughs> and uh, they're trying to give hope, and they're trying to make this statement, the next four years you can rest this government on my shoulders. That's their call. That's what they're going after. And uh, one thing is for sure. There are no angels standing over them in declaration, singing out, this is the one. This is the one with whom we will have our hope. Praise be to God. That's not happening. And uh, there is no angelic declaration. There is no prophecy written before that says, it will be the little one with the wild hair. He's a great businessman who... It doesn't exist, right? We're not looking at prophecies and we're not, and people are trying to get the lay of the land on who's leading the charge right now and what does that mean for, and and, uh, some are petrified by what that even means right now as we see who are the forerunners. And I'm just telling you this, they're trying to step into a position of man leading a country for a few years. But know this, while they're trying to take on the country for four years, hear me, We already have a king, and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Man, his name is Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah. He is king of the universe, God Almighty. The angels declare over him. There is a massive declaration about him. There is prophecy written of him. We have our hope in him. We do not place our hope in man. We place our hope in the almighty God. And all of God's people said, I'm telling you, man, as we go into the elections, lean on your God, right? And hey, it's America. It's a democracy. You're allowed to vote. Vote for whom you see fit and lean on your God, all right? Our hope lies in him, not in a man. And uh, I just wrote this down. Uh, The war on terror will not be resolved by physical means, not ever. It is ultimately a war on evil, a war on the crippled heart of man needing a healing touch. The war on terror 
Jesus Christ alone can offer that fix. The end. That's our hope. And uh, the Messiah, man, he is stepping up. And, uh, and they look forward to his expectation of his birth. And that we get to look back at his birth and remember and celebrate. But we still get to look forward to so much of his reign and rule as Messiah. Eternal reign. Prince of peace. Almighty God. Him ruling for all of eternity. Hear me. He is the wonderful counselor who knows all. He is, he is the almighty God who can do anything. The everlasting father who reigns for all of eternity. The prince of peace who brings the restoration. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Question. How are you doing at leaning on him and expecting in him your Messiah? Man, in this Christmas season, let's take this time. I love that they put the debates right now. Could there be a greater contrast for us? That we get to see a bunch of people bickering around, and then there's Christ. And uh, we have the king, and we know his name. Let's worship him and celebrate him with all we've got. All right? Expect in him. That's number one. Number two. Number two. Celebrate. Join the humble ones in worshiping the Messiah, the author of humility. Celebrate. Join the humble ones in worshiping the Messiah, the author of humility. Let's just turn over to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. We're going to see some of this prophecy now fulfilled. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. I'll give you a second to flip there. Love hearing the verses or the pages flip. It's good. Take a moment. All right, here we go. Celebrate. Man, don't just expect. Celebrate. Our God is making good on this promise. All right? And uh, remember, we went through verses 1 through 7 last week as we looked at it in the answer to prophecy from Micah. And now we're looking at 8 through 14. It says, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in their field keeping watch over their flock by night. Shepherds, you know, these are the guys who hang with the sheep. And uh, sheep don't necessarily smell all that good. You know that? And to hang with the sheep and be responsible for the sheep, this was a very lowly position. Shepherd, it was kind of low man on the totem pole. The rest of the people get to stay with the fam and they get to do whatever, maybe even in the town. But the shepherds, dude, get out there and watch the sheep. They're watching them by night. What does that mean? Well, they're protecting them. They're making sure they're safe. And so these people who had a very low position, the shepherd, everybody say very low. It's a very low position. This is a humble position, the shepherd. Uh, They're watching the sheep by night. And uh, it says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. You know, we read this and we get so used to it that we miss what's going on. And so here's what you have to picture. The dudes who got no respect, who were sent out into never, never land with the sheep and nobody cared really what happened as long as they came back with the sheep, right? The ones who were never given any privilege on anything are now sitting out in the absolute black. 
And every once in a while, you'd hear a sheep. That's like all they had, man. They're sitting out there with that. And all of a sudden, the darkness that was all around them went, bam! And it's filled with light. And they jumped like many of you just did. And the whole place has erupted with light. Like you got to picture this from dead black to absolutely lit up on fire. The whole place, one angel showing the glory of God Almighty. You got to get this, man. When John saw the angel and he saw the glory, the size, the sheer size alone, the, the grandeur, the light beaming off of him, the perfection, he falls on his face and accidentally starts worshiping him, right? And the angel's like, dude, stand up. Don't worship me, right? That's revelation. That's the angels we're talking about. This is one of them. They're sitting in utter blackness as this angel is in trip coming going, man, do I have a message for them? Gets there and goes, wham! And he's now going to deliver out who he is and the glory of God Almighty spreading around that whole place, the shadows being cast across. Can you imagine? If you would look, you'd see these long shadows as the light beaming off of that angel is hitting them and one side is all lit up and the other side completely black and the shadows running long as he's standing in front of them saying, you got to hear what I got to say, man, right? First words. Fear not. Why? Because if we were to see that, we would not just be smiling and going, I bet that was cool. We'd be like, and we're going to die. <laughs> right? The glory in front of you and not understanding the difference and the fear of what was going on. And he's like, fear not, for behold. And the word behold means? Check it out. I've got something big for you to know. And uh, behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy that will be for all the people. Man, we hear that phrase and we get so used to hearing it, we're missing it. Get it now? I'm going to give a different emphasis. I bring you, the lowly, the humble, the ones who get no privilege, I bring you good tidings of great joy that will be for all people. You're the ones that are being shared with first on this plan. I'm bringing it to you, humble start. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I'm telling you, that word Christ was everything. Everybody knew the Mashiach, Messiah, the Mashiach. This is Isaiah 9. This is the one. This is the one who knows everything, can do everything, will reign eternally, will bring in peace. The Mashiach, and he is born. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. These guys all of a sudden are fully aware that Isaiah 9 is being revealed to them as being prophesied and fulfilled, and they get to be the first to get there. Everybody say, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. And a huge privilege to these guys as he's letting them know, I'm telling you, city of David, Bethlehem, Savior, Messiah, 
He's born. It's come. One of the six promised is done. The child has been born. Hang on. Five more coming and it is time. Get ready. Time to celebrate. Your God is making good on the very promise he made. The decisions he made from eternity past and the fulfillment of prophecy coming now and God's making good on his promise. And this will be a sign for you. The obvious. Well, we're going to go see him, right? But don't forget, back in just a few verses back here, the decree has just been made that everybody go to their town for a census. There are tens upon tens of thousands of people traveling. There are families of all sorts. There are kids of all ages and sizes. They don't belong in many places, and so they're living out on the outskirts. Some of them are in the inns. Some of them are just sitting in a manger. And how do I know which child, man? There are people everywhere right now with what's going on with this census being taken. And a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Everybody say, humble start. Humble start. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Praise be to God. It says, and suddenly, don't miss that word suddenly, right? It's not like it slowly came on the scene, right? It says, and suddenly there were with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, literally 10,000s upon 10,000s. They weren't just strolling in. It didn't take an hour and a half for them to get there, and you could kind of see them in the distance as they were easing their way up the hillside, right? It went from, this place is bright with the one angel. Can you imagine? 10,000s upon 10,000s. Bam! And the whole place is filled. It is like the sun has lit up. The entire thing is beaming down. You can feel the heat on your flesh from these angels all around as the glory is shining. And they have something to say. It says, multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying. Notice it's in the present tense ING. It was going on and on and on. They were going through a repetition statement making much of their God. And it says, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those whom he is pleased. Glory to God in the highest, vertical. Nothing of value happens if it doesn't start with the vertical. Glory to God in the highest. Make much of your God first always. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And, um, you know, there's a slight variation on this. The, I'll just tell you, the original language is a bit complex and it lacks a few of the, the letterings or the words that would make it real easy to read as a sentence. And so different people have placed it different ways. And the ESV has uh, chosen this flow where they're trying to make the emphasis strong. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Right? And for us who know the King James, it sounds wordy, right? And, uh, but I'm telling you, this is a great phrasing for what's going on in the original language there. And we better get that their main point is twofold. May God be glorified. And know this, there will be a massive effect to mankind of peace on earth with those in whom he is well pleased. Him working with those who are coming to him and peace 
will be had. Remember the promise to the Messiah. He is the Prince of Peace. Remember the promise of the Messiah. He will usher in a kingdom of peace. Remember it. Get big on it, man. This is the declaration of the Mashiach, Isaiah 9, and a huge celebration with our king. Glory to God in the highest. And uh, man, it's pretty easy for us to walk through Christmas, and the biggest thing we get worried about is what present to get for so-and-so. They're so hard to buy for, you know? The last four times I bought for them, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with buying gifts, and there's nothing wrong with wrestling on which gift to buy them. But I'm telling you, if that's our primary, we've missed the point of Christmas. May it all be about our expectation and our celebration in our Savior and Messiah, Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen. Man, the scripture has a phrase, and I thought maybe we could just end with saying it together. The phrase is this, glory to God in the highest. Just say it with me. Glory to God in the highest, louder and bigger. Glory to God in the highest. And again, glory to God in the highest. They were praising and saying, what? Glory to God in the highest. Bring it bigger and louder. Glory to God in the highest. With expectation and celebration, we say what? Glory to God in the highest. He is Messiah. He reigns and rules. Praise be to God. Amen? Amen. Man, that is the Christmas story. And if we can grasp what's going on and who Jesus Christ is, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. Let's pray.